of Jesus, Psalm 1611, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I want us to think, last week, we were doing a series on the attributes of God. So last week, I gave you the attribute of anger. We have an angry Jesus. This week, we have a joyful Jesus. Aren't you glad we got here? You know, so we, we, we're moving beyond the angry Jesus to the joyful Jesus. And I want to kind of give you a balance of that for a few weeks. But think about the joyful Jesus this morning. A friend of mine a few weeks ago had eyelid uh, surgery. I wish it had been me. I've told you this before. That's the surgery I want one of these days. Because eyelid surgery is where you got these droopy eyelids, you know. I can't tell you the number of times people have said, hey, what's wrong? Are you mad at me? What's wrong? And I'm thinking, I'm not mad, and there's nothing wrong, but obviously my face is giving you the picture that something's wrong, or, you know, you can try to keep your eyes open. It's like trying to keep your tummy in, you know? It's like, you can only do that about five minutes, and then you start looking suspicious. <laughs> like, what are you up to? You know? Trust me when I say I am happier than I look, okay? There's someone else who is happier than they look, and that is Jesus. How does Jesus look to you? If you're like me, I grew up with a very serious image of Christ. Uh, I don't, it's still a struggle for me to have this, this joyful image of Christ. How does Jesus Look, I want you to begin to see him as happy. He's a happy Jesus. He's a joyful Jesus. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 1 with me, verses 6 through 8. Hebrews 1. Hey, well, I'll just go ahead and jump down. Six is where it kind of starts. Let's jump uh, to verse 8. But of the Son, so we're talking about Jesus, God the Father says, He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of His kingdom. So Jesus is on His throne. It's going to last forever. You have loved righteousness. You've hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. Now catch how God has anointed Christ. With the oil of gladness above your companions. Think about that phrase. God the Father has given God the Son an anointing, and that anointing is an anointing of gladness, and that gladness exceeds the gladness of all his companions. In other words, Christ is the happiest being on earth. All his companions, none of them were as joyful and as happy as Christ. And none are today. He is a happy Savior, a joyful Savior. It might not be the image you grew up with, but it's God the Father telling us that he is the happiest. Uh, you know, got to break a little bit from our, our old view of Christ, perhaps. I had this sad view of Jesus, but I realized 
this sad view is, is very limited to just a few days. When you think about Christ, you think about his crucifixion. Maybe praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, that, that was painful, that was miserable. The, the scourging, the crucifixion, yes, that's bad. Last week we saw that he was angry when he went into the temple, passionate for worship. So he's got this, this day in the temple, he's got the day in the garden, the day on the cross. He was angry when people wouldn't let children come to him for worship. So you've got that anger. You know he's weeping at the grave of Lazarus. How many other days do you have? When you stop and think, wouldn't everybody in this room endure 10 bad days for a life of joy? All day long. I mean, maybe there's there's 10 days of, of pain and agony, but it He's anointed with gladness, and he's a Savior that is extremely happy and joyful, and in his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So I want us to begin to maybe alter the view we've grown up with to a stronger view on the happiness of Jesus, and see that as one of his primary attributes. So Let's look at Peter, the lead disciple, the head of the apostles, the spokesperson. Peter preaches a happy Jesus. Look at Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. So this is the first sermon of Peter after the resurrection of Christ. He's stepping into his role. It's It's an enormous sermon in its significance in that there are people from every nation gathered there for the Pentecost, for the feast there, Peter gets up early, has his 9.30 service. You know, it's about like us. And he starts preaching. And as he preaches, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, he doesn't back off. He says, you're the ones who crucified Christ. He doesn't back off of our sin. He doesn't back off on what they have done. But notice how he describes to this obviously non-Christian audience, Christ. And at the end of this sermon, you know the story, 3,000 people get saved. The end of the story down verse uh, 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter, to the rest of the apostles, uh, what do we do? I mean, how do we get saved? So that's the conclusion. That's How does he get there? Well, let's go back. Verse uh, 22. And the men of Israel, listen, so he starts preaching. To these words, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But... God raised him up again, first kind of statement, putting an end to the agony of death. So yes, Christ had agony. But one of the things Peter wants us to know right at the beginning is, you crucified him, that was agonizing, but God did did away with that. The agony of death is gone for Christ. I mean, you can even imagine Christ, because he 
told it enough times. He says, I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. I will rise again. He knew that he was going to rise up on that third day and laugh at death. I mean, what joy, what rejoicing. That's done with my life. There is nothing but joy going forward. And Peter caught that, the agony. All of that was over. Keeps on going. Since, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. I mean, you can just think, there, it's just impossible for Christ to now experience pain. So there's, there's nothing left but pleasure for Christ. And he holds all pleasure in his right hand. Uh, verse 25, for David said of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope. That's the description, Christ going back into the Psalms and says, you want a description of me? This is me. My heart is glad. I don't know what you see on my face, but my heart is glad. My tongue sings. It's just, it's exciting. Jesus, to use the words of um, that uh, somewhat modern-day theologian, Pharrell Williams, right? Jesus is a room without a roof. When he steps in, he blows the lid off of joy. He exults. His body screams gladness. His, his mouth speaks gladness. He has absolutely no agony. That's who he is since he's died, been buried, and resurrected for us. Well, it goes on. Uh, verse 27, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Peter preaches a happy Jesus. Jesus is happy. He's excited. He's gone through death. He's gone through burial. He's gone through resurrection. And now he is the God of joy, the God of gladness. Do we have a happy view of Jesus? Peter preaches a happy Jesus. Isaiah preaches a happy Jesus. Look at Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is maybe where I got messed up a little bit on my view of Jesus because I only read the first part. Isaiah 53 Verse 3 says, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he bore. Okay, I get it. A man of sorrow had to bear my grief. We get that. But if, that's, if we stop there, that's not fair. That's not complete because he's, he's dying. He's taking on our sin. He's taking on gr our grief, taking on our agony, but he's doing that on a day on the cross. He dies. That's buried with him, and he rises again. Notice verse, so let's don't stop at verse 3 and 4. Look down at verse 10, 11 and 12. 
But, so that's done, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. He had to put him to grief. You know, uh, by the way, just seeing that, Philippians 2 talks about uh, God humbling himself, taking the form of a man, a bondservant, even going to death on a cross. And in doing that, God says, you know, Christ did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, becoming the form of a bondservant. So when Christ, who was God, took on flesh and became man, now God-man, he had to lay aside qualities of Godhood. See, he didn't, so I won't just keep acting like God here. I'll, I'll be a man, fully man, but it doesn't say he had to give up all of his God qualities. He doesn't. And one of those he retains is joy. Yes, he has, to, he has to put on grief. You see, well, if you have to put on grief, if you have to take on grief, which means you didn't have it, that's, that's something we have. And he takes our grief and our agony to share with us. He was a God of joy. He took our agony and then, again, Moves into joy, verse, uh, still in Isaiah 53. So, uh, verse 10, he's crushed, he's put to grief, so that if, if he would render himself a guilt offering, we will see his offering, he will prolong his days, and catch this, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it. And be satisfied. Don't circle the word pleasure. Circle the word satisfaction. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide their booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many, and he interceded seated for transgressors now in interceding for us and dying for us and all of that it says he's satisfied picture uh the person who wins the battle you've all seen some sort of movie some been in some sort of battle uh, perhaps where you know the enemy's coming and there's this big uh uh cavern or or river and there's a bridge across it and the guy on the righteous side is, is racing with time, trying to get to that bridge. Because if he can blow that bridge up, then he traps the enemy. And the war will be won. And so you're that, that soldier, and you're trying to get to that bridge, and they're shooting at you because the enemy knows if you get to that bridge, you blow it up, they're doomed. So they're shooting at you, and you get shot. Maybe your arm gets blown off, but you keep going. You keep going, and you finally get there in time. Boom, you blow up the bridge, and the war is won. How do you feel? You feel satisfied. I've been shot. I've been blown up, but I'm alive. I've endured, and I am so satisfied and what do you get to do you get to pass out the plunder because you are victorious and your team is victorious everyone gets to pass it all out all the goodies that comes from that victory and that's the picture in Isaiah 53 you get of Christ 
He was put to agony. He was put to grief. He was put to death. But he rises and he says, he says as I did all that, I was so satisfied that I was paying for the sins of my people. I was putting to death death and grief and agony. And now in my right hand, there's nothing but pleasure to give out. And he loves to give to his people the plunder. He's plundered Satan, death, the enemy, completely. Who was I talking about? Isaiah, excuse me. Isaiah preaches a happy Jesus. Read the whole chapter. Peter preaches a happy Jesus. Jesus preaches a happy Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 4. This was surprising to me. Uh, Luke chapter 4, again, verse 13. Luke 4, beginning at verse 13. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. So you would think, okay, Jesus just went through 40 days in the wilderness, fasting, praying. Then he gets tempted by the devil that last day. Think, well, that can't be fun. What does he do? Verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom. So Jesus, this was his custom. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. Why do you come to church every Sabbath, Christian Sabbath day? It's my custom to follow Jesus. It was his custom to go to church every Sabbath day and when he showed up, you gave him the Bible and you let him teach because nothing was going to be better than that. So verse 17, the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Back in those days, they didn't have thin paper like we've got, so they had scrolls or uh, smaller books, thicker paper. So the books of the Bible were in their own kind of binding or whatever, so they just bring him Isaiah. He doesn't have a whole Bible this morning to preach from. So he's got Isaiah, and however it was, scroll or whatever, he's, he flips through it, and he comes up to Isaiah 61. Now, we don't have the time, but you do this when you get a chance, maybe this afternoon. You go look at Isaiah 61 and start reading. If you're like me, I can't ever put down halfway through Isaiah 61. Matter of fact, i got to read Isaiah 62. It's just, it's just fun. Isaiah 61 and 62. He could have picked a lot of bad. He could have picked Isaiah 53. But he picks Isaiah 61 when he gets a chance to preach. And that's what he's preaching from. Verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. I mean, this starts to get good. It's like everything that Christ says I'm, I'm talking about is, is good stuff. Then verse 20, he closes the book. He gave it back to the attendant. He sat down, and the eyes of everybody on the synagogue were fixed on him. Oh, I can't pass that up. You notice after he read, what did he do? Sat down. Y'all are supposed to be standing. I'm supposed to be seated. We've got that all wrong. We're going to do that next week, okay? 
y'all won't go for it, I know. But anyway, you, you, uh, you maybe tend to listen more, I don't know, maybe you move more if you're all standing. But anyway, Jesus sits down, everybody else is standing up, I think it's because they didn't have, you know, the economy of chairs like we've got today. Verse 21, and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? Um, they, were, they saw Jesus' words as gracious words, as words of joy. The Lord comes and he makes us rejoice. He sets captives free. It's the, it's the working of the king. He is the king of glory. He's not the king of misery. He's the king of glory. He's the king of joy. He's the king of victory. We know these things, but we sometimes don't see that these things mean he's a happy Jesus. Uh, look at um, Isaiah 61. Got to go back there to, to read it in, in the original. Isaiah 61, verse 10. Let me read it. It says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he's clothed me with garments of salvation. He's wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland as a bride adorns himself, herself with jewels. Um, Isaiah 61 says, I rejoice greatly and I am decked out with gladness. I look happy. Christ says, today in your presence, that's me. That's who I am. I'm, I'm the one who rejoices greatly. I'm the one who's decked with gladness. I'm the one who comes and brings good news. I am the king of good news. The gospel's about me. It's good. It's happy. It's joyful. Jesus preaches, just like Peter, to this non-Christian crowd, and we think, well, he's going to say how offensive you are. Yes, you are offensive. Yes, you are a sinner. And though the, Peter and Jesus, they don't skirt that issue. Isaiah doesn't skirt that issue. They lead us to a happy Jesus. Should be a happy normal, I think. Now, we struggle with this because we've, we've all got agony. And some of us have a lot of agony. Some of us wake up and wonder what's going to move. Some of us are confined to beds, wheelchairs. Some of us have a lot of agony. Uh, Joe, just a little while ago, prayed for some of you who are um, there. And I don't want to point you out. We all know it. How, how, do you, how do you rejoice greatly when your life is so absorbed in daily pain? I want us to think through that. We have... A happy Savior. Look at 2 Corinthians. He gives us how to do it. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Here's the Apostle Paul. He's a wonderful example to us uh, in that he had the infamous thorn in the flesh that he had to live with until he died. So he had a fleshly pain and agony that he asked God, God, please heal me of this. And I'm sure he got the church to pray for him. And he prayed earnestly, he says, three times, 
Lord, this, I, I just could do so much more, so much better if you would take this agony. And God says, not going to happen. You're going to have that agony until you die. Verse 16, his response. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. For while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Several things he mentions there that's very quick. He says, first of all, our affliction, our pain, is, it's, it's momentary compared to eternity. He says, we have an eternal weight of glory. We have an eternal life of joy. So what we have now is a temporary, momentary agony. We are headed for an eternal, unending, irrevocable, ceaseless, limitless joy. Compare those. And when you compare those, second thing he says, look at what you don't see yet. Quit looking at what you do see. Walk by faith. Instead of being absorbed in your pain, look at where you're headed. Look at what you're going to. He says, the way I deal with this is I keep looking at what I don't see yet. And that's that moment I wake up in a resurrected glorified body and run to the arms of Jesus oh happy day indeed that will be that's how we deal with it we don't skirt it we don't say it goes away we don't say yeah I'm happy 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 we may say I'm in pain but I'm anticipating being out of pain I'm anticipating that day when I'm resurrected. To be absent from the body is to be immediately present with the Lord. To be glorified and to be in his right hand in the fullness of pleasure. That awaits all of us in Jesus. Man, it doesn't get any better than that. The non-Christian doesn't have that. If you're here, you don't have that. We want that for you. We plead with God that you are drawn to Christ and see the joy that awaits you in Christ. One of my favorite verses, I'm running out of time, is Psalm 30, verse 11. And the reason I like it, I like to sing it sometimes. Psalm 30, verse 11 says, He has turned for me my mourning into dancing. Mourning, M-O-U-R. Some of you didn't think I could spell, right? M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Did I get it right? Our mourning, that's when we're, we're grieving we're in agony. God has turned from me, the grief, the agony, into dancing. So, I mean, how, how, how do you want to say that? He's turned my sorrow into skipping. You know, that gaiety. He's turned the pain into pleasure. That's what he's done for me. And that's what he's doing for me. That's what he will do for me well what does all this mean let's apply it why are you not always cheerful are you not following a happy jesus you know that should be more the normal than the exception we've got bad days but how do we get 
a presentation of our lives to others that's more joyful. Maybe the same way Jesus did. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3, a description of what we were talking about in Isaiah 53. But Hebrews 12 makes it very plain how Jesus endured this life. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Just imagine, he says here, this entire witness of the church triumphant in heaven, circling around us, even as we're here. He says, we've got a great cloud. They're in the clouds. They're in heaven. They're the church triumphant. And they're there witnessing what's happening to us. And he says, as, as they see us, they're cheering us on. They're begging us, turn loose of sin. Quit sinning. The pleasure is not in your flesh. The pleasure is not in lusting after things. Give up the sin. It's just holding you back and run. And they're cheering us to run, run, run the race that God's given for us. Why? Verse 2 goes on. Fix your eyes as you run. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What did Jesus do? Back in the middle of verse 2, don't miss it. The author, the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him. Who has endured such hostility? Everybody's screaming, crucify him, crucify him. Who's endured that kind of hostility? He's taking that hostility. He says, how do you take that kind of stuff? For the joy set before me. I am running this race. I am going to die. I am going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried. And then I'm going to laugh. Ha! I won. There's such victory. There's such satisfaction. There is joy, and I'm going to pass it out. The, the benefits of my death and my righteousness, I'm going to pass it out. Ha! It's going to be so fun. And we've got people who've already experienced it. They've witnessed it. And they're looking at us saying, run. There is a joy set before you. Run, just like Jesus did. Endure the pain. So how do we do this? Endure life for the joy set before us. We've got to constantly have that vision. Maybe it's Philippians 1 verse 6 for you. He who began a good work in you will do what? Complete it. You will be made whole. You will be made complete. You will be perfectly righteous in Christ. You will be glorified in his presence with fullness of joy. So endure life for the joy set before you. It doesn't mean you have to be happy right now. But there's still a joy in your life that's coming. Anticipate it. Number two, begin each day with joy. Philippians 4, verse 4. Here's a command. What God commands happiness? Our God. A happy God would do that. That would make sense. Philippians 4, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord's command. Always. Again, I say, rejoice. He said, you should not consider this strange because it's, it's, it's the anticipated command of a happy God. 
Be like me. Rejoice in the Lord. Always, again, I say rejoice. We must begin waking up with the uh, mindset, I need to rejoice today. Regardless of my pain, my agony, whatever I go through, what anybody says, I am still in the Lord. In the Lord, there's a joy set before me. I can be happy. There's gladness. Um, I love this prayer of, of, of in John 15, verse 11. Jesus encouraging us uh, in our prayer, in our work for him. John 15, verse 11, he says, These things I've spoken to you. So here's another sermon by Jesus. He's talking about the vine and the branches and all that, dwelling in him, abiding in him. He says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Jesus doesn't want you to have a halfway joy. He wants you to have a complete joy. He says, I'm encouraging you to get in Christ, to get in the Lord, just like a branch is in the vine. And if you will get in Christ, it will make your joy full. It will blow the roof off. You will be happy like a room without a roof. That's the kind of happy he has. That's the kind of happy he wants us to have. Begin that way. I command you, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, Rejoice. It's not optional. As Christians, we need to, to grab that. Number three, repent of being sour. How many of you need to repent this morning? Are you a sourpuss? Yes. I mean, there's times we have just been grumpy, grumpy, grumpy. We've been Eeyore. You know, and there are people in our family we just need to say to, I'm sorry. I've been grumpy. I have not been following Jesus. Yes, I have some bad days. Yes, it hurts. But there's a joy set before me. And I should be giving you a better presentation of Christ. I should be his witness. He is a happy Savior, and he's given me so much. My agony is momentary. It's temporary compared to the eternal weight of glory in his presence. So take the time when you need to, where you need to, maybe on a regular basis, and Repent. Turn from being that sourpuss. Look again at what you don't see around you, the unseen life that's ours in Christ. Get that eternal perspective. And then fourth, develop a joyful view of, of God. Um, I like a master who's happy. I need to see him. I need to see Jesus. I need to see him for who he is. Um, he's a God who wants us living happy badly he enjoyed a good time you know why did we not have I, I despise pictures of Christ I think the scripture forbids pictures of Christ and one of the reasons is because none of us come up with a good picture of Christ but of all the pictures of Christ you've seen how many have you seen with Jesus at a party they described him as a drunk and a glutton. Maybe because he was good at parties. Maybe because he liked to feast. Maybe because he liked to celebrate. Maybe because he is the celebration and the life. Maybe because he's glorious. And sometimes we don't have that view 
of God at all. Our pictures are so woefully wrong. We need a better view of Christ. Let me pray. Father, forgive us for our sins. We have been so woefully down in the dumps so much of our life when there's a joy set before us, when we are on the winning side, when we will be victorious in Christ. Lord, let us live that victorious Christian life. Let us get that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. That we are victorious. We reign with Christ for an eternity. And that reign is sheer joy. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. Thank you for the joy that's ours in Christ let us give the good news to those around us, our family, our friends, to those here. Father, draw them to your wonderful, glorious, joyful self. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.